Welcome to episode four of Just Admit It. I'm Victoria, a former assistant director of admissions at the University of Chicago and Sarah Lawrence College. I'm joined today by my Ivy Wise colleague and friend, Christine, who is a former assistant director of admissions at Yale and Georgetown. Today, we're going to discuss what admissions officers look for. So most of the students that I've worked with over the years have had uh, the same first question. What are these colleges and universities considering and how do I get in? I think that's probably a common question you get too, right, Christine? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They always start with that. What are the most important factors that I should prepare for or think about as I prepare for the college admissions process? Yeah. So we want to discuss with you guys um, this ever elusive college admissions process and go into some depth about the types of factors colleges are evaluating when they're reviewing your application. Um, My students always get hung up on the idea of how they're being evaluated, um, and they tend to have some myths or exaggerations about the process that, that they know about in addition to some of the more factually correct ways that they're being evaluated. And there are a lot of layers in this process, and that's something I tell my students a lot. There's a lot of context as well that plays a role in how admissions readers are going to evaluate all of these factors in your applications. So we like to talk about the hard factors and the soft factors in your application and how these are weighed when admissions counselors are reviewing your application. So, Christine, I was wondering if you might tell our audience a little bit about hard factors and what they are and how they play into the evaluation process. Yeah, that's a really good question, Victoria. And I almost always start any conversation with a student who's asking this question with hard factors. And there are really two big hard factors, I would say. Um, and I will say that the most important document that you will have in your application, whether you know, you're know you a senior applying or you're a ninth grader who's just starting the process and thinking about it, um, is the transcript. And there are two really factors that admissions officers are looking for, two components they're looking into um, when they're looking at the transcript. One is the course rigor, uh, which is another way of saying, what are the toughest classes offered your high school? And what has a student taken over the four years at high school in light of what's offered to them? And every high school will be different. Um, you know, in the traditional U.S. Um, sense, you know, you will have a school with AP curriculum. A lot of schools um, have moved away from AP curriculum, so they don't even offer AP classes, but they may have advanced classes or other names for them. But we know that there are a level of difficulty uh, within each subject. And so what admissions officers are really looking for are these um, really, really rigorous higher level classes. And even in the international concept um, context where a school may be offering uh, IB courses, there are higher level IB courses. And even within the higher level courses among them, there are some like math or even more rigorous than some of the other higher level courses. So that context of what's offered is really important. Um, some students will ask me, well, gosh, I heard you know that you have to take 10 AP exams to be competitive for the most elective colleges. And my question to them is, well, what's offered at your high school? If there are 20 APs offered, yes, um, there is an expectation from admissions readers that a student, uh, a very you know, challenging and academically rigorous student would be taking a good number of these AP classes. Um, but another high school may only offer one or two um, AP courses. So it matters what's offered in high school and what the student has taken in light of that. So the transcript, when they go to it, admissions officers, they're looking for the rigor of the courses, uh, but also, of course, grades. Um, that's really, really important too. How the student 
student has performed um, in their various classes. And it's really a careful calibration of both course rigor and um, grades. So it doesn't make sense for a student to take all AP classes. So they have like 20, you know, maybe not 20, 15, 10 APs. Um, <laughs> really well, you know, they're getting low grades. That's not, you know, that's counterproductive. Um, or on the other extreme, a student gets really good grades, all A's, but the course rigor is not particularly strong. That's not good either. So it's really that calibration based on each student's um, strength and interest. Um, that's what, you know, you and I spent a lot of time working with our students, trying to figure out what that maximum, you know, calibrated uh, course uh, curriculum would be that they're taking the most challenging courses in the five academic course subject, English, um, history or social science, language, science and math, and still do the best that they can uh, at their level. So that transcript is really important. Uh, the other component, uh, the hard factors would be a testing. Um, so I know that there is a sense that testing you know, or students may hear that it's um, becoming more test optional or it's less important. Or if you attend a lot of admissions uh, information sessions, you often hear, well, that is just one piece of the application process, which is absolutely true. I'm not saying that's not true. It is one of many. And I certainly think a student's academic performance over four years of high school, their day in a day out behavior and how they interact in the classroom, so much more important than what you do on a Saturday morning in terms of taking a test. <laughs> At the same time, though, I, you know, I do have to caution students that testing um, does matter. And, you know, we um, at IVYZE, we have so many great resources about the topic of testing. But I, I really do want to say that test scores matter. And that's part of the initial review process where the admissions officer is looking at the transcript and testing to see if um, a student is, you know, what we would say competitive for their particular app applicant pool. And that will uh, vary a little bit depending on a college, you know, college X Harvard, it may be different from another college in terms of what's competitive. So it's under, uh, important to understand that these are the factors and admissions officers will look to these very strong components uh, to get a sense of how much time they really do have to evaluate a particular applicant. It's a holistic process, but it begins with these hard factors. Um, and there's a little bit of triaging, I would say, to focus on the students who are academically competitive, that they can do the work academically at a particular university. So the hard factors, I would definitely say, are the first pass of the admissions evaluation process. And once a student is competitive on these numbers uh, or these hard factors, then everything else become very important in this very holistic process. Uh, just imagine an admissions officer, you know, Victoria, you and I have both been in this situation reading a lot of applications, right, per day. And you're like, oh my gosh, how do I, you know, try to get through? And sometimes you do really have to focus on the ones that you know would be um, academically competitive, at least for that particular applicant pool. And then you want to devote, uh, you know, time to understand who the student is um, and what they're about, what they can bring to the university, um, which are the soft factors. Um, yeah. So, Victoria, on the soft factors. Yeah. So the soft factors that colleges and universities are considering when they're thinking about admitting students. They're thinking about um, some of the more obvious things that our students know about, like who you are and what you do, right? Uh, most students know that colleges are looking at the activities that you've done outside the classroom over the summer, over the past four years. Uh, you include that in your application. In the common application, which goes to most colleges and universities, you'll be listing those and describing those. There also will be essays where you can describe those further. They might ask you about community service 
um, experiences that you had or some of your favorite activities so that it gives you a chance to describe those more in depth. And uh, students often say to me things like, you know, how important is leadership or how important is community service? And those things are really important. But what colleges are most interested in are seeing you um, doing the things that you love to do over the four years that you're in high school and pursuing those in more depth as you go on. So that means digging deeper, finding ways to explore those that aren't just surface level. You don't want to just join a club just to join a club in name, right? You don't want that one hour club that just meets to kind of have fun and have lunch every week. You want to start doing activities that have uh, more depth to them and are really related to your passions, your interests. You're also um, going to show the colleges who you are as part of this process, right? So there's an element of your personality coming through and being evaluated as well, which is very subjective. Um, you'll do this through a number of ways. You have your personal statement, the essay that goes to all the colleges to which you apply, um, or at least almost all the colleges to which you'll apply. And this essay is a chance for you to describe who you really are at the core. It's hard to do that in the 650 word limit that it usually is for the common application. That's what it is at least. And so we really help students think about what it is that they want colleges to know about them, right? They're trying to showcase who they are. Students are trying to showcase who they are to colleges and universities through a topic of their choice on, on this common application personal statement. And that can be a really hard task for 17-year-olds, uh, 17, 18-year-olds, as me and Christine have both seen. It's really hard to figure out who you are at that age, and it's even harder for students to write about it. So, um, But it is something that colleges are interested in, because if you think about it, colleges really want to know the type of person you are and the things that you do, because they're trying to build a community. They want a community of scholars, of students who are diverse and who offer many different things on campus. And so they're going to look at all of these different things that you're submitting to try to get an idea of what you're going to bring to their campus. So it's not uh, just about showing who you are and that you do things, but also proving to them that you're going to come to their campus and be active. They don't want a thousand academic robots. The getting the grades and taking the hard classes that Christine described is very important because they do want students who are going to be at a certain level, who are able to do the work, right? But they also want students who are going to come and make their campus a fun and a vibrant living community. So they want people who are kind, who are generous, who have good character, somebody who might bring their doormate a cup of soup when they're sick because it's a community, right? They're also going to be really interested in, in how you are in the classroom. Because in college, a lot of the work that you're going to do is self-directed. You're going to find that there's um, a lot more engagement with your professors. And they need to know that you're going to come and be successful in this academic environment, that you're going to talk in your classes where uh, your discussion-based classes might be a majority of you reading the material, coming to class, discussing it, and then writing three papers over the term. And so if they don't believe that you're the type of student who 
loves to read and loves to learn about the subjects that they are studying, they aren't going to be as sure about how successful you'll be in those classes, regardless of whether or not you got great grades in, in high school, right? So they are going to look into your letters of recommendation to try to get a feel for how you would be in their classrooms. Um, so they're not looking for your teachers to say, yes, so-and-so got uh, amazing grades on tests, quizzes, and papers. Instead, they want to know, how were you in the classroom, right? Did you speak up during class discussion? Did you help a student who needed help on a problem? Did you lead a group project when, you know, the rest of your teammates kind of wanted to hang out? Right? Are you going to be that person who comes to their campus and really helps their um, community thrive, helps their classrooms thrive? Similarly, with your uh, activities and hobbies, again, it's not about the number. We always say it's quality over quantity because they want to believe that you're going to come to their campus and continue those activities. So if you've demonstrated that you are very invested in the activities, passions, interests that you have in high school, then they're going to see, okay, they're probably going to come to our campus and do the same. That's why it's important not to just think of it in terms of leadership or community service, but rather, is this something I'm truly interested in it? And how can I make my interests um, and my commitments go even deeper? A great example would be, okay, I love to uh, do theater. Do I spend the four years just hanging out in the background, you know, even if I get only ensemble roles, just being in the ensemble and not trying to do anything else? Or do I push myself? Maybe I, you know, try for the role of treasurer one year. And maybe I'm shy and theater isn't easy for me, but I push. And by the time I'm a senior, I'm the president. And then I roll my experience in theater into teaching local school children um, theater practices in my spare time as an extracurricular kind of community service uh, engagement. Right. Like that would be a way to take what I love and, you know, may not naturally be the best at and spread it to other people so that I'm showing, look, I really care about this thing. I want to share it with other people and I care about my community. Mm -hmm. But these things all have to be genuine, right? So one of the things about soft factors that some students really miss is that you can't just have a, a slew of, of things that you put into your applications that you think admissions counselors are going to like. Because admissions counselors have been reading applications for years and they've seen thousands of essays and thousands of resumes and, and they understand when something doesn't make sense. They have a very good intuitive feel for when something doesn't feel genuine. So it's also about finding those things that you truly love and, and pursuing those not just for college, but really because you have a real interest in them. Um, and it's, it's not worth it in the end just to play the game of trying to come up with activities that you think will be impressive. Um, another way some of these factors will come through that aren't the you know personal essays or essays about your activities or the activities list on your Common App are personal interviews. Some colleges will offer those as an opportunity for you to talk about yourself. And it's a really great idea to, to participate in those if a college offers them, because as we all know, it's so much easier to get to know somebody off paper. And um, whether it's an alumni interview or an interview on campus, you will really get to know um, 
the admissions counselor or the alumni uh, who are interviewing you, and they'll get to know you on a way that's different than those paper applications. They'll write up that review and it'll go in your file, which will be another component for them to review when they're reviewing your application. Now, um, Christina, I did want to talk to you about some other um, things that are being considered that aren't, you know, the soft factors I just talked about beyond your activities, hobbies, beyond your teacher letters of recommendation. Um, and that's uh, that these colleges are also businesses, right? They have institutional priorities that they need to fill every year. And they have a bottom line, just like all businesses do. And these are things that you can't control. So um, what are these types of things? Well, perhaps there's a given college that is highly selective that, you know, had three members of their uh, tennis team graduate, and they need to fill those spots And they're, you know, a D3 team. They're, they're very proud of their team. So one of their priorities that year may be to get really stellar scholar athletes that are tennis players, right? So they might want some superstar tennis players who are also academically competitive, or perhaps a given college or university needs to fulfill some underrepresented minorities on campus, now, whether that's students of color or students um, with a socioeconomic diversity that's usually low so socioeconomic um, students um, because many colleges will have a lot of students who can pay for the education and maybe they want to balance it out to create that diversity. They, they're going to try to uh, prioritize that in the admissions process where they can, right? So these things are changing every year for these colleges. Sometimes they need more history majors and sometimes they need, you know, uh, more tuba players for their symphony. So you can't control that. You don't know year to year who they need or why they need it. And again, so you're not going to try to pretend to be those things, but those things could end up helping you during the process. Um, the last thing that we kind of want to touch on on um, this uh, soft factors is something called demonstrated interest. So not every college will be tracking demonstrated interest. Some of them will tell you that we don't track that. What is demonstrated interest? It is this um, interest that you show the university, right? So are you actually interested in possibly attending, not just applying? So we have school students every year who just want to apply to a school just to add it to their list to apply to a school. And that's not very helpful because if a college can tell that you're doing that, you're very unlikely to actually get admitted even if you're a very strong student. They want to keep their admit rate low. And in order to do that, they need to yield more of the students that they admit, right? So they have a yield model. They know from year to year how many students tend to say yes. And it's not always going to be 100%, right? Even Harvard has some students who will say no to them. And people are surprised by that. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Uh, perhaps they got a full ride to their state institution from the state that they're in, or perhaps they just discovered that Harvard wasn't their perfect fit and they wanted to go somewhere else. So Harvard will have to over-admit to get a certain number of applicants um, to that they know are going to come to fill their class and keep their class numbers around the same number. Now, when they do that, um, if they can keep some of the guesswork down about who they're going to yield, that's going to help them 
over admit less students, keeping that admit rate lower, right? And this isn't just Harvard, this is any selective college or university. That's just an example. Um, so what, how that plays into it is uh, uh, many, many colleges and universities are going to be looking at your demonstrated interest to guess whether or not you might say yes. And that looks like many things. Um, one, it could look like whether you've visited campus or in these times when visiting campuses isn't really as possible, whether you've done a virtual um, session or met with an admissions counselor online or done a virtual fair. It also looks like sometimes tracking your emails to see if you've opened them. Yep. And sometimes it, it looks like uh, when you write those essays, those supplemental essays I said that colleges have, they also have uh, one that is pretty wildly um, used, which is why do you want to go to this college? And if you can't convince them in that application that you actually do have a real interest and a really good fit with them, then they may not want to admit you, right? Um, and fit plays into this as well. You're more likely to come if you are a good fit. You're also more likely to be a good student on campus if you are a good fit, right? You're, you're more likely to what we call thrive rather than just survive. Um, so if you don't um, demonstrate those things in those essays, it's, it's not going to be very helpful. And then the last big form of demonstrated interest that we want to talk to you about is early decision. And not every student knows what that means, but basically um, early decision is a pool to which you apply and you say, I will definitely attend if I am admitted. And that can really help your chances because you're helping them take some of that guesswork out and whether or not you will come. So there are a lot of different things that colleges are considering. And, and I always like to go over them. It, it takes a little bit of time to go over with students, but it's important because it's not, it's really not just about the numbers, although the numbers are a very important part. These quantitative uh, hard factors that Christine described are the first kind of um, first kind of post you need to get to. And then it's everything else. Who are you going to be on our campus, right? And there's a lot of context in all of the things that I just described that need to be considered. Um, but another thing that you really need to consider in this process is this, uh, this pool to which you apply, right? So, um, Christine, maybe you could tell them a little bit about all of these admissions pools and how they work. Yeah, absolutely. Victoria, I just um, love listening to you and just kind of explain all these factors that uh, reminds me of um, a really succinct line that one admissions officer said recently, um, that ultimately the three questions that um, any admissions reader or admissions director is looking at in an application, it's, you know, will you, um, can you do the work? Are you academically able? Uh, will you do it? Which is um, not quite the same as can you, will you, and then what else will you bring to the campus? Um, questions like what kind of roommate you will be to what kind of um, class partisan will you be? Um, and so all of those are such great factors to think through. And your point about demonstrated interest and that fit, it's so uh, right. And, you know, one immediate example that came to mind is I have read so many uh, why, you know, NYU, uh, which is a great university in New York. <laughs> 
And so you'd be surprised, but students do write like, I want to go to New York City. And there's nothing about NYU specifically. So if you have a great NYU statement, you should thoroughly research what NYU is about. Um, what do you want to study there? What are the classes you would want to um, take there? What are the professors whom you want to work with at NYU? What activities? Um, sure, New York is part of the NYU experience, but NYU is so much more. It's global, right? To even think that just about one city. So do take the time to research the school as well. Um, and of course, as you were just saying, um, the really the ultimate way to demonstrate interest is applying early decision, which is a binding commitment, as you said. Um, and just to backtrack, you know, one step to talk about the early programs, because there's so many times I feel like <laughs> that it's confusing because, you know, I get emails from uh, parents. Well, can I apply um, early action decision? Uh, what, where can I not apply to? So it's it's confusing. I'm confused. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> colleges are um, always switching as well. So early decision, uh, there are a few types, the two big types of early, there are two types of early programs, mainly. Uh, one is early decision, which is binding. And that means if you get into a school, um, you are committed to going to that school and you can really just apply to one early decision school and that's it. Um, there are also other types of early programs. Um, the most probably well-known are early action programs, but there are variations within early action. They are just open early actions where there are no restrictions to applying early. Then there are early action, restrictive early actions or single choice early action. And that means that, and you have to read the fine print very carefully, you can only apply to our school early action and nowhere else early action, except perhaps maybe public universities um, that offer early action programs. So you have to check both ways, not just the one school you're looking at, but all the other schools that you're thinking about, oh, can I do an early application somewhere? Um, so that's another type restrictive. And there are open ones where as long as it doesn't conflict with other early programs, you can apply to us and other places early. So it's really important for students um, to really do the research and then understand what early policy that they're looking at. Um, an early decision, I think it means something. And you, uh, you know, can hear statistically that admit rates are higher. I will caveat that and say that, you know, admit rates are higher because there are certain um, candidates that may have um, already, a, you know, quote-unquote hook, um, you know, Victoria spoke about, um, you know, tennis players, and often they want to commit to that school and they know for sure. So they are coming in as um, perhaps a recruited athlete or some other factors. So the early decision pool um, will have the strongest applicants who are ready to apply at the beginning of their senior year, essentially, and also um, students who, for various other reasons, are absolutely committed uh, to applying as well. So you do see that um, boost in admit rates. Um, but it's important to know and this is kind of an increasing trend that we're observing, is that colleges are more and more relying, I think, more and more relying on early decision to yield, which you talked about, yeah. yield those students, um, because it, it is a very competitive landscape, just as, you know, students are thinking like, oh my gosh, can I get into NYU? NYU is thinking, oh my gosh, can I get these um, outstanding students? So they want to make that commitment, um, you know, for students to, to come. So you can have a school like NYU that may be admitting up to 60% of their first year class through early decision. Um, and a consequence of that is that, you know, it may be tougher in regular decision uh, to apply because um, the number of, you know, first year class may be committed to early decision one or early decision two um, programs for a particular university and and there's still a lot of interest in the you know in that school and so you have overall very high number of 
um, regular decision applicants, uh, but there are perhaps fewer spots in um, in the first year class that the school can extend to in regular decision. So these are some really you know tough questions. Um, and every year we're like right now you know working with our students thinking through these. Like, what is the best fit? Have you researched? Is this a place where you can see yourself and be able to make that commitment early decision or restrictive or single choice early action uh, or some kind of restrictive early action where it limits to limits the student um, where else they can apply. Um, and so, Victoria, I know you've uh, thought a lot about this. Um, what are, I mean, I kind of highlighted some maybe pros, but what are some other uh, factors that you would um, encourage students to think through about early decision or early action? Yeah, so there's there's many pros to early decision and early action, but there are also some cons, right? Um, I think one is students forcing themselves to choose early decision because they think that that's going to be a boost, which in many cases it is. But then um, they maybe aren't sure that that's the best school for them. And when you apply early decision, you're definitely going there. So you really want to know that it is the best place for you, which is why that research that you were discussing for the NYU, for instance, is so important. Um, you really want to understand what the campus is like, what they offer in the way of what you want to study Right? And, and really investigate that. And just applying to get that edge is not really a good idea because you could be stuck. And, and what we really don't want, and the colleges don't want as well, is you spending a year somewhere and then deciding you need to transfer because it's not a great fit. Right? Um, it also sort of limits your choices uh, as far as other schools, which can happen. Um, and and sometimes students are okay with it, but sometimes maybe you would need to see multiple options. One, if you're too indecisive, that could be a reason to see multiple options. Or two, if you maybe need financial aid, right? You would want to see multiple aid packages from multiple different schools to which you were accepted in order to make the best decision for what's going to be financially responsible for you in addition to the best fit school. And then also with merit scholarships, um, if you apply early decision, you're only getting that one answer and you couldn't compare any scholarships you might be getting from different colleges to which you were expect, ex uh, accepted, right? So that would be very important too, because I think um, with the amount of debt that students are accruing in higher education, it's really important to consider those things and consider whether or not um, you can really afford to not have multiple options. Also, there's a, an opportunity cost in the restrictive early action of, uh, that you mentioned, Christina, the pools where you can only apply to that one school early action, because not only are you limiting yourself in applying to other private institutions in early action so that you're, you're not being able to get those multiple um, answers early on, which really helps seniors feel pretty good in the middle of December to, to get some good answers. You're also not allowed to apply anywhere early decision. So you might take away some of the enhanced chances you would have at a high reach school that offers early decision. So I think those are all really important things to consider. Um, there, in addition to that, um, you really, when you're building your list, want to think about balance. So we're talking a lot about highly selective schools right now, and it's great to apply to your REACH schools. But you also want to consider balance. You want to have some likely schools in there, schools that we think uh, would be about a 60% chance or higher of admission for you, that you, you're above the average admitted student as far as your hard numbers. 
um, or target schools, schools where you're right in the middle of that, that middle 50% of admitted students when it comes to hard numbers. And um, most importantly, I think you want to enlist positive thinking. Mm -hmm. Great, you know, apply to your reach schools, but not magical thinking. Um, so don't oversell your academic capabilities. I have had students who tell me that they want to go to an Ivy League school who also tell me that they do not like to read in English class, and that's very much not a good match. Um, academically, they might be overselling themselves on what they're willing to do in college and how competitive they really might be as a an A-B student who doesn't like to read at all. Um so that's that's uh, what, what I think when you're you're considering your list. Um, so, Christine, do you have some examples of times when um, you've seen students whose hard factors weren't really there in the process, or weren't there as much as some of the other factors were? Yeah, no, I, um, uh, there's one particular example that I often think about. It was really an extraordinary student. Um, and the student had phenomenal recommendations. If, you know, we could say these are the recommendation that, you know, a student, every student should aspire to, this would be it. The student had not just great academic ones, but also from, um, the school principal and also the district superintendent saying, I remember there was a line of something like this student has done more for our district, um, in even our state that any administrator or superintendent, you know, even um, state um, officials have could have done for our, our school district. Um, the student had led initiatives um, on various education advocacies at the state capitol, um, rally, I think, thousands of students um, in these initiatives. Um, but the unfortunate thing was that the student had a really um, relative in our pool, I think, um, at the time I was reading for Yale, um, of academic record where um, there were C's, a couple of C's, um, not, you know, massively, but enough that we, it was a concern. I mean, we go back to, like, I go back to the, what I said, can you do the work? Will you do the work? Um, and what else will you bring? The student would bring a tremendous amount. And that was where I really paused hard as an admissions officer thinking like, amazing contribution to our school campus, leadership. Beyond. But academically, oh, you know, will the student, you know, will the student be able to do the work? Is that the good fit academically? You want them to be successful academically as well um, <laughs> by admitting them to our, your campus. Um, and will the student do the work? So there was a lot of back and forth. And this is a great example where um, the soft factors were phenomenal. The personal qualities as well as contribution, but the hard factors were just not there, which is, you know, you need all these components. Uh, what about you, Victoria? What are, what's an example that, uh, that uh, stand out to you from your experience? Yeah. Um, so I have been thinking of some examples of where the student is really academically qualified, but perhaps doesn't um, shape up those soft factors, if, at least through their applications, or maybe they just aren't really working on them throughout high school. Um, so I think back to my days in reading at University of Chicago, and I remember, um, you know, reading first, I would read the transcript, then I would read the, the test scores of the letters of recommendation and this student had such great academics, very qualified. And then I got to the essays and um, the student literally wrote, I do not want to apply, apply to the University of Chicago, but I am because my mother told me to, uh, at, at which point I thought, okay, well, like we were discussing, is this student going to yield? Probably not, you know, even if mom or dad forces them to. Um, and I've also read applications from students where they're um, 
what we call their application narrative just wasn't really there or it didn't really make sense. So what we mean by that, uh, we talked about all those hard factors, right? And those soft factors and, and these questions that colleges ask, like, what are, what are you going to do on our campus? Um, what do you like about our campus? Why this school? Why this major? And if a student starts talking about something, um, that they've never explored in, in high school as, as their major. And it's, you know, very specific and it doesn't seem to line up. Like, let's say um, they've, you know, never taken any Greek or Latin or anything and say um, very vaguely in their why I want to go to the University of Chicago that I want to study classics, but their activities have been just totally unrelated, like math focused. I don't really believe that that they're going to come as classics major. Um, you know, specifically, I can think of a few students who tried to sell themselves as something like a classics major when they had all this research experience in the biological sciences. So, you know, to me, it looked like hey, you're, you're probably going to be a pre-med student. So why aren't you talking about that? Um, so you do want the parts of your application to come together and sort of describe you as a whole because colleges, like we said, they're trying to build up a class of diverse students. So your interests should be what we call pointy, right? Everything's coming together in a way that makes sense. Your narrative should make sense. Um, similarly, you can kind of make that narrative off a little bit um, and turn the reader off. Uh, unfortunately, it is a subjective thing to have a human reading another human. I will say most admissions officers are trying their best to find a reason to admit you, right? They're human. They remember what the process is like, but there are some times when the essay you write is just not going to hit home with that, that person. And, and I can remember examples of that. I have, um, multiple examples of my least favorite personal statements I ever read. Um, one of them involving the time that a student first uh, potty trained, and I have no idea why he chose that as a topic. Um, I kind of use as a rule of thumb, no bodily functions as the subject of your personal statement. Um, it was not fun to read about that with the first line being plop, plop, no joke. Um, and, you know, I think that students sometimes try to go out so far on a limb that they really just, um, they make themselves seem not like an attractive student who's going to come to campus, uh, and be somebody who's going to be a great member of the community who, who's going to be a kind and giving and supportive, uh, classmate and doormate, right? Um, another example too is of a student who wrote a personal statement about, um, crashing a car that he drag raced, then working all summer mm -hmm. to pay for a new car. Because, and I thought at this point in the essay, that's going to be really good. Okay, he's learned his lesson. Then he crashed that car again. <laughs> and then he got in trouble again with his parents. And, uh, and the end of the essay was not that he had learned about this experience. Um, the end of the essay was that he would do it all over again. So, you know, these types of things a student really needs to think about. What am I saying to a college? And um, you can have straight A's. Um, great test scores, and then write an essay like that, and it, it could cost you admission. So you really want to think about who am I, and am I representing that well to these colleges? Absolutely. So, yeah, no. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, you. 
I was just saying that it is true that they need to be authentic um, themselves. And, but it is a good idea. I mean, the work of, especially with the essays, absolutely 100% should be the students, but it's good to, you know, probably have an English teacher or a counselor to read and reinforce, right. That this is coming across well, you know, you're thoughtful, reflective, but it also comes across that way to the reader as well. Cause I think sometimes it's, it's hard to be, <laughs> to, to realize yeah. that, you know, what you might think it's a catchy idea may not be the most, um, um, flattering, you know, um, yes. the reader's perspective. So, um, well, there's, I mean, I think these are such great um, points to consider. It's not a, um, it's not an algorithm, you know, the holistic process is that there are so many, um, these factors that come into play. Um, and to think everything from the hard numbers, uh, the hard factors to the soft factors in how students are being evaluated. And ultimately, I think, you know, the students, I would just encourage them to do their best to work hard, work on their essays, work on be devoted to their activities in a genuine way because you really care about something work hard in your classes and it does i mean we've uh, been doing counseling and missions for so many so many years right um and we yeah. do see that in the end it works out well for students who um who work hard and, and try to do their best um certain yeah. things you control certain things you can but the ones that you can do the best that you can um so uh, in closure, I just want to say thank you, everyone, um, so much for tuning in. Please remember to check out the Ivy Wise Knowledge Base, sign up for our monthly college admissions newsletter, and subscribe to our podcast for all the latest higher ed news and advice. Thanks so much, Victoria, um, for joining us together in this conversation today. Yeah, thank you, Christine, and thanks, everyone, for listening.